Welcome to the next episode of American Filmmaker. On this episode, we'll be talking to Colby Goddard, a producer, a cinematographer, and a creative partner with Jeff and Michael Zimbalist of All Rise Films. Welcome, Colby. Hey, Josh. Hey, I just want to say thanks, and I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and I just wanted to say congratulations on Momentum Generation and the epic win at the Emmys. Yeah, we were super stoked. Uh, I couldn't believe it. You know, you go to the Emmys saying, oh, it's an honor just to be here. But once the ceremony starts and, uh, you know, you see that you have a real shot at winning, you, you start to want it real bad. So when they called our name, I was really excited. You know, we all, the big team of producers went up on stage and, and had a chance to celebrate a great win for a great film. Nice. I kind of want to take it back to the beginning because the goal of this podcast is to help shed light on the creative journey, just to kind of demystify it for people at the beginning, people in the middle, people at the end, retired people who just want to vicariously live through the young filmmakers. And so the first question that I always ask people is, what was it like growing up and when you realized you might be creative and want to, you know, maybe take part in the filmmaking and storytelling process? Well, I had an atypical journey into filmmaking. I was born in West Africa. My parents are both American and moved to West Africa in the early 70s, working in public health and international development. I was born there in 1980 and spent the first 10 years of my life in a country called Benin, which is right next to the massive oil producer in Nigeria. As part of his work, my father would travel into rural areas very frequently, and he would take me along from time to time. So I would have the opportunity to, you know, visit communities that are very humble. You know, living uh, uh, a way of life is very different than than the way most Americans live. And you know, I was six, seven, eight, nine years old, so it was normal for me. And you know, I sleep on straw mats and thatch roof huts. I'd eat the local food. I'd, I'd just kick the soccer ball around with, with the local kids and, and just have fun hanging out with them. So then when I moved back to the States when I was 10, everyone always asked, you know, culture shock coming back to the States. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to have culture shock when basically living as a, as a kid in the States means playing video games and, you know, getting presents for, for your birthday and Christmas and, uh, going to movies, it's, you know, it's a pretty easy lifestyle to adapt to. So I didn't really have much, much culture shock. But by the time I was 15, 16 years old, I knew that kind of what made me different from having been born in Africa, I was starting to lose it. And at the time, my father had the opportunity to move to Madagascar to, to work uh, on another public health assignment. So as a family, we all talked about it. And I was all for it. I said, you know, get me out of here. I want to move to Madagascar. I remembered my time in, in West Africa, and the idea of going back to Africa was, was fantastic. So sure enough, four months later, my family picked up, and we moved to Madagascar. So here I was back in a completely different environment. And as I was settling into to life in Madagascar, my father was working in communications for, for public health, and he started mentioning to me, you know, Colby, you really should start looking into video production because it's going to be something that becomes increasingly important for international development work 
and it's going to be something that I see exploding on the scene. So, you know, I kind of took it for a face value. I, I wasn't particularly obsessed with film. You know, I, I wasn't someone who watched a lot of movies or, or was a cinephile or, or like always played with, with video cameras, but generally I liked uh, photography. And I think, you know, what always drew me to photography was the idea that it forced you to go out into the community. And I, I enjoyed documentary photography. I enjoyed kind of wandering through marketplaces or, or rural villages and taking photos. And actually, as part of my college application, I took a series of slide photos and included that as part of my application. So I ended up going to Brown University, which is actually where Justin Lewis went as well. And uh, at the time, you know, digital video was, was just starting to become something that was available to, to filmmakers. Within Brown's curriculum at the time, you had to take a series of prereqs in order to get your hands on a camera. Basically, you had to take at least three classes that tied Freud or Marx to all sorts of film. And I took one of those classes and I was like, you know, I don't want to waste my time like with all this theory. I, you know, I'm not really that interested in that. I wanted to just get my hands on a camera. So I decided to not continue down that track. And therefore, I never actually ended up taking a proper filmmaking course. However, as chance would have it, my cousin went to Emerson and Emerson being one of the, the preeminent film programs in the country definitely got his hands on cameras very quickly. So fast forward to the end of, of my college career, uh, I wanted to go back to Madagascar one last time. And I knew that if we kind of like proposed to a nonprofit organization to produce a video for them, that we could get some money for them to fly us over there and fly us around the country uh, to do the work. So my cousin and I teamed up and we ended up going to Madagascar and we ended up producing uh, a 30-minute institutional documentary about this environmental and, and public health program. Now, while we're there, we're going around the country and, you know, we're hanging out in local restaurants and watching the tube. And there are all these music videos that will come on for local artists from Madagascar, Malagasy musicians. And I'm watching these videos and I'm like, yo, I am not a filmmaker i am not a music video director but i guarantee you i could produce a better music video than that and that kind of planted the seed hey you know how crazy would it be to buy some equipment and move to madagascar and start a production company um, at the time cameras mini dv cameras were, were the thing the, the panasonic dvx the sony pd150 uh, Apple had relaunched the iMac. They had just launched their, their first Power Mac, the G5. Uh, Final Cut had gone through a couple of, of iterations. So the tools were there. And uh, what we ended up doing, I actually ended up getting married in the interim to my girlfriend from Brown. And we ended up using some of the money that we were gifted as part of our wedding to buy a bunch of used uh, cameras and, and computers and shipping them all to Madagascar and starting a production company. So that's a long way of answering uh, your question, which was I kind of fell into uh, filmmaking and cinematography backwards. By being a filmmaker, 
you get to tell stories, you get to meet people, you get to travel. And that was the thing that really drew me to it is through filmmaking, I could do all of the things that I love and the things that I really valued from my childhood in Africa, which was discovering new cultures. I think it's really important that people understand that there's so many ways to tell stories. And I think what's most important, too, is that stories come from the world that's living. And and oftentimes, sometimes when you're not in that world, kind of like you were as a child and like you were able to stay kind of in that creative realm and then follow that instinct. I, I think that's really important for people to understand because in the end, even though you've refined this production process to a science, you still don't know how to capture lightning in a bottle And in a way, that lightning in a bottle comes from, I think, those instinctual experiences early on, you know, like being tuned into the world around you. So I think that's really kind of wonderful, actually. You know, I think it's natural, like 100 percent kind of an an organic way. And then also kind of the business mind, too, because I think some people don't often realize that the business that it takes and then just to have one person in the group or the tribe you know, that you're part of or the community and then say, hey, yeah, we can all do this stuff, but one of us, you know, has to be the practical person or not even that more, more utilitarian in a sense. And, and so what year is this right now? And then where does this one decision propel you? In 2003, I graduated from college and spent the summer in Madagascar. And by the end of that summer, we decided, okay, next year, let's, let's move back. We'll buy some, camera, some used uh, video cameras and a couple of used uh, iMacs, and we'll move over and, uh, to Madagascar and launch the company. So, um, yeah, at the time, it was a big risk. I mean, I, I had no idea how to manage a company. I wasn't even a filmmaker, but um, my cousin was a filmmaker. My wife uh, was an artist. And we just were confident that, um, you know, the world wanted to tell more stories and technology had gotten to a point where it, it, it empowered uh, young people like us to tell those stories. And uh, so we ended up, uh, you know, taking the leap. And, you know, honestly, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because we ended up starting a company in Madagascar and uh, hiring very, very talented Malagasy filmmakers who I count as collaborators and, and friends to this day. And they're really the, the people who made me into a filmmaker. They're the ones who taught me how to, how to shoot. Uh, they're the ones who taught me how to edit. And uh, everything I've achieved in my career comes from the fact that I moved to Madagascar with my wife and my cousin and collaborated with very talented Malagasy filmmakers who were able to impart, you know, their skills and their creativity on me. So what happens next? Because I think your instinct is really, really good. So I'm curious. Filmmaking is something that really is accessible to anyone because the best way to get into it is to start by doing what you know best. You know, I didn't end up going in, moving to Madagascar to make music videos or commercials or narrative films. I made films about international development, and uh, international development was what I ended up studying uh, in college, and it was something that I knew very well from 
growing up around my father and, and doing internships with the various uh, organizations that he was working with. So for me, filmmaking was just an extension of this world that I, I was very comfortable in. Similarly, you know, I, I've met filmmakers who are video journalists who travel the world and, and capture different stories. I've met action sports uh, cinematographers, uh, people who love mountain climbing or extreme skiing and just started bringing GoPros and other cameras on their trips and all of a sudden realized, wow, I'm capturing these amazing moments and this great footage and editing together these really dynamic videos. Or there are people that, that you know, will, will film very intimate moments uh, in and around their communities that, that help to bring outside viewers into that particular community. So it's just to say to be a filmmaker shouldn't at first be a, a huge leap. It should just be about taking what you do best, what you know best, and, and using the tools to tell stories that, that you want to tell. And once you have that base layer, then you can start to push your limits and, and, and do some self-critique and see expose yourself to other filmmakers and see where you fall short and where you want to improve your, your skills in different ways. So that's what we did. That's what, what came next. We spent three years in Madagascar, and then it was time to come back to, to the U.S. So as good fortune may have it, my wife grew up down the street from Jeff and Mike Zimbalist. So on one of her trips back to visit her parents, she bumped into Jeff at the, the CPA of all places. You know, they're, they're both visiting an accountant. And uh, Jeff handed her, her a card. And uh, I was planning to be in New York a few months later. So I, I dropped Jeff an email. And we, we set up a time to, to meet. And as it so happened, he happened to have a, a client that was interested in, in producing a video in uh, Madagascar, and it was actually a, a institutional client. So I was like, "Hey, I'm in Madagascar." He said, "Great, let's see if we can work on this together." So uh, we ended up collaborating on that, and from there, our relationship just blossomed. And uh, we were uh, collaborating on a series of, of more international institutional videos which complemented the work that he did coming out of favela rising leading into the two escobars which was more on the feature length documentary track that journey is a very important journey because i don't think people realize what's going on behind uh the scenes for the filmmakers what started to lead to these other collaborations for espn and then eventually some of the larger channels, HBO, was it the building of storytelling in some of these, you know, other kind of senses where you could play with different techniques and then eventually the storytelling from Favela Rising after the win at Tribeca and then kind of around the world and kind of with the outreach campaign that that happened with that film? Yeah, so there's, there's two, I think there's two levels. One is, you know, you, you have kind of the, the high marks for example, Jeff winning Best Emerging Director at, at Tribeca, and then that leading into the opportunities to, to direct uh, the two Escobars with Michael Zimbalist and the, the two Escobars having a very successful festival run. I would say those two things really consolidated the Zimbalist brothers as a name brand within documentary filmmaking. So now 
they were in a position where various opportunities and ideas were being presented to them. So I had been working with Jeff in, in a different capacity, in more of an institutional capacity. So, uh, you know, in order to, to smooth out the bumps between uh, the big documentary projects, All Rise Films would take on institutional contracts as well, and I would collaborate with, with Jeff to help run the crews for All Rise Films in order to film the footage and, and edit the, the videos that were delivered to clients. So. We had a very familiar working relationship. Coming into the fall of 2012, Jeff and Mike were presented with the opportunity to produce and direct Young Soundboys. So I knew that they were going to be going to Columbus, and I knew that they would need to have a crew there. So I basically, you know, raised my hand and said, you know, whatever you're going to spend to hire a local shooter, uh, I will fly up there and, and work for that, and, and we can just bundle in the, the, the hotel and, and other logistics costs, basically meaning that I would be the same rate as whatever they would find locally. So I think that's the other thing. When it comes to filmmaking, you have to pick your – you have to see opportunities, and you have to understand when, you know, you need to make a deal or kind of grease uh, the wheels to make sure that the, the opportunity opens up in your favor. So, you know, Jeff, Mike, and I end up working together on, on the cinematography for all of the principal interviews for Youngstown Boys. And as a result of that, I became very familiar with all of the, the story content. So it, it made a lot of sense for me to then work with them as a producer on that project and to help them mobilize the crew that eventually edited the film. So that was kind of a turning point because from that point, I shifted from working more exclusively on the industrial content that an industrial contract that All Rise Films did to now working on the feature films. So that was the, the first big feature documentary that I worked on with Jeff and Mike Zimbalist. And then from, from there, coming out of that, we've had this string of uh, three feature documentaries and a six-part mini-series, as well as branded content that we've all done together. And that includes Momentum Generation, which was eventually bought by HBO and distributed within the United States by HBO and has now won the Emmy. Uh, it also included Nosa Shape, which was a film that was commissioned by Fox Sports about the Brazilian soccer team that crashed uh, on their way to the match in uh, Medellin, Colombia in 2016. We uh, produced a Verite film tracking the rebuilding of the squad and also telling the stories of the players who lost their lives in that tragedy. The third feature-length documentary is called Give Us This Day, and that involves embedding uh, with uh, three police officers and three young African-American men in East St. Louis and telling the stories of how these six characters' lives are intertwined and exploring issues of, of race and violence and, and community and fellowship within uh, East St. Louis. And then finally, there is the six-part miniseries Phenoms, uh, which was commissioned by Fox Sports and Fox Digital Studios, profiling 18 young up-and-coming uh, soccer stars from six different countries 
who were competing to make the national teams that were going to be competing in last year's World Cup. So through that process, All Rise Films has, has created a lot of systems for not only telling great stories, but also managing crews internationally, making sure that we're developing great access to our characters, obviously shooting and editing fantastic work that's broadcast quality. And doing all of those films within a two-year period certainly uh, tested the limits of the overall team. But now, you know, we're, we're a year past delivery of many of those projects. You know, we're much stronger for it. And looking forward to, to a great future where we take on uh, even more ambitious projects. I'll make sure to put all of those links in the show description. One of the films that really when you were describing them, I didn't know Momentum Generation started as an independent project. Was it something that you you knew had viability, but then you just had the right cast in place? Could you talk about that a little bit and maybe the journey? Well, specific, so um, in this particular case, uh, the, the, the genesis of that project comes from Justine Chiara and Rob Machado. So Rob Machado being one of the, the Momentum Generation crew and Justine Chiara is his manager. And they initiated the idea of creating a film about the, this Momentum Generation crew and the legacy of each of those surfers. So then they actually created a series of partnerships with different entities, including Sundance Productions, and ultimately priority pictures. And it was uh, those three entities together that, that brought Jeff and Mike Simblis and All Rise Films in. So in a way, it wasn't a project that emerged from All Rise Films, but that All Rise Films was brought in as the production company to take this idea and give birth to it. And of course, the creative stamps uh, that Jeff and Mike bring to a project are all over momentum. And, you know, their involvement and the involvement of the entire team, the, the entire production team that worked on it, made it what it is. Uh, but it was Priority Pictures and Sundance Productions who initially helped to take the project from being just an idea to being a, a viable production. And then based on the success that we had uh, at the Tribeca Film Festival, HBO picked it up and then has since. Uh, done a fantastic job of, of distributing the film and promoting it across its platforms. That That's a good way to fill in the details for everybody who wants to know. Yeah, that does. I mean, it does bring up the, the interesting question of how filmmakers who have ideas should move forward because, of course, you know, everyone would love to get hired to work on a fully funded feature project but that's not necessarily the case. So I mean, we could talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good one. And then the other one I was going to, it kind of leads me to this this other thing, which there is narrative work under All Rise Films with the films like Pele. And so, yeah, let's talk about filmmakers trying to get films made, and then we can maybe transition to narrative work. And, you know, because maybe some of those lessons hold true because the documentary space definitely holds a reality and then trying to transition over into the narrative space. Well, I had the great privilege of um, kind of being able to step onto a platform that has been built based on the, the work that uh, Jeff did on Favela Rising and that Jeff and Mike did together on the 
of Bavel Rising and the two Escobars, it, it affords you a lot of opportunities. So All Rise Films has, has always had the great fortune of being exposed to different projects that uh, in many cases already had financing attached, which meant that less time was spent doing development and more time was spent managing production teams in the field and, and really investing in the storytelling and the eventual editing and polishing of the films. But of course, you know, that's not necessarily always the case. And, and within uh, All Rise, there, there is a tradition of incubation and, and idea development. And I, I think actually one of the most successful ideas that has been incubated within All Rise is actually the remastered series, which uh, has been released uh, on the Netflix platform over the last several months. And it, it's a curated selection of, of documentaries uh, that are in the realm of, of music and, and crime. So kind of true crime within the music space. And this was a concept that, that uh, All Rise Films, Jeff and Mike specifically, developed based on their interest in music and, and really seeing a potential opportunity and then created a partnership with uh, LEG, Levity Entertainment Group Triage, which is a company based in LA that uh, we had all done some work for a TV special called A Home for the Holidays. And, and that provided the, the opening to connect with Levity Entertainment Group, which is known for its work in the music world and to have a very robust collaboration between LEG Triage and All Rise in order to put together a very solid pitch for Netflix, which then became remastered. So I think, you know, everyone who aspires to work on feature work or to who aspires to work, to work on projects that end up being broadcast on TV should always be developing a roster of ideas. They should always be scanning newspapers and other media for, for interesting stories that need to be told. And then upon developing that list, they should be developing each of those ideas into decks so that when you visit a film festival or have the opportunity to meet other people within the film world, you already have pre-prepared packaged decks about each of the ideas because you never know what a particular investor or producer is going to be interested in. And to the extent that you have a half dozen to a dozen decks with different ideas that have been already researched with, uh, you know, character profiles and other information that describes why it would be relevant to particular audiences, it increases the chance that something like that would be kind of snatched up by someone who's in a position to, to push it forward and that uh, you'll have the momentum behind it to, to start to work on it. Now, that being said, if that doesn't happen, you always have the opportunity to bootstrap it yourself and to make it a passion project. And to oftentimes, those are the ones that are the best. If you take a film like Minding the Gap, you know, we, we have a, a film that was shot over many years and, and edited over many years and eventually had great success at the Toronto Film Festival and other uh, renowned film festivals. So I'm sure if... if uh, he spoke to the filmmaker in year one about what his ambitions were for that project. He probably wouldn't have said, oh, I expect that it's going to be, you know, one of the contenders for the Oscar. It, it's a testament to the passion and the, the time commitment that he put into it that it reached such a high level. And I think that any filmmaker, if 
they don't have money and they have time and they're serious about their work uh, will be able to produce something that eventually gets seen and that eventually uh, is picked up by, by important film festivals and helps to launch their career. I think you introduce a really good idea with Minding the Gap, this idea of incubation programs, because Minding the Gap is actually part of Cartemquin Films incubation programs, which Cartemquin Films has been around since the 70s. They kind of started the Chicago documentary tradition. And what they realized is that as the founders were getting older, they had to create a program that would basically intake uh, adults of all ages as well as filmmakers of all ages and then get as many diverse voices in this program and then start to build and like pair. Bing Lu was actually one of the the uh, more successful projects. I didn't know that 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 element of it, but that I, I wholeheartedly agree. Because then you know, once as a filmmaker you reach a certain point in your career, uh, you know, filmmaking is a hustle and it's a grind, and and uh, you know, at a certain stage it, it, it's it's better to um, kind of create opportunities for the next generation, for the diverse voices, as you say and uh, to create more of a legacy for yourself and your company. And, I mean, that's, that's a fantastic model, and, and it is something that I, I hope that All Rise Films, as we kind of continue to, to mature as a production company, will we'll be able to bring into our portfolio as well. I'm definitely trying to get Cartemquin Films on the podcast because that's actually one of the places where I started. And then um, I'm trying to get the other doc house in New York, the one in the fire station. DCTV, and it's another big doc house. So, I'm curious about the day to day because oftentimes I think as people we see the end result of these films, but then what does the day to day take up for All Rise? My main role is, is to run the day to day production. So, Mike Zimbalist in, in particular is, is always involved at a, at a directorial level and helping to craft the stories of, of the project that All Rise is currently working on. Um, he's also taking time to do some development and, and to develop ideas that All Rise would, would like to feed into its pipeline starting in the fall and then next year. But my job is to kind of get the, the projects that we currently have on the slate through the, the production cycle. So at present, we're doing some work with Gatorade. Uh, we're doing a, a, a doc and we had the opportunity to tell five stories in, in five different countries, four in Latin America and, and one in Europe. And each of our characters ended up coming to Madrid where there was an international soccer tournament called the Five versus Five Soccer Tournament. So we followed our characters through that tournament and now we've completed field production. So once the field production phase is complete, we move into post-production, so all of our assistant editors and editing team and writing team is busy processing the footage, you know, as, as mundane, as, as converting footage from various camera types into ProRes so that we can be working uh, within the Final Cut X to, to edit the piece together, but also within the writing, it's taking all the interviews and getting them translated into English and slotting in all the captions so that the writing team can be begin to assemble the A-roll. So we're, we're pushing everything through, and uh, we expect that the film will be completed by early September, 
and then we'll be working with uh, our our partner on this project, uh, Creative League Services, which is the in-house agency at PepsiCo, uh, to distribute it. And the, the idea is that it'll it'll get uh, broad distribution so that it's available to to a wide public who's interested in you know how these these young people from around the world are are passionate about soccer and um, you know through their eyes get introduced to this uh, tournament which is has just completed its its fourth yearly cycle and next year ex- expects to expand to even more countries and and bring in and create more opportunities for for young soccer players around the world as all rise film has grown and increased its capacity to take on numerous projects of all uh sizes and and depth Ha- have things consolidated to an edit room that's that's all in one place, or like um, how has the company grown within that 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 way? I know Jeff was saying uh, it was extremely uh, horizontal, and then it's gotten to a place where you know trying to uh, build kind of a creative beehive, so to speak. Because All Rise has created a a, a very strong brand in the. Uh, Latin American soccer space. Uh, we have the, the privilege of, of regularly working on, on projects that take us down to Latin America. Uh, so what that means is we need editors who are native Spanish speakers, Portuguese speakers. Uh, so we do have um, centralized uh, editing or post-production offices, but we also bring in specialists as necessary for the project. So we, we've developed systems that allow us to ship drives that are that are mirror drives, and uh, basically bring in the most talented editors for a particular project. And as long as they have you know a great internet connection and and a good setup that they have access to, then we create a system that that smooths out all the tech and all the media management, so that they can focus on the creative. And the media managers and the assistant editors are the ones worrying about file management and and uh, the overall processes. So we 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 really set that up when working on Nusashape and Phenoms. Uh, and coming out of that, you know, there are a lot of things that that bent to the to the point of all, almost snapping. But fortunately, uh, we didn't end up having any major snafus. And as a result of that, had sought. We, we were able to, to assess the areas of the system that were weakest. We fortified them, and uh, things have actually gone very smoothly thus far, knock on wood. Um, but we're hoping that once we come out of uh, delivery of the, the Gatorade project, that we'll, we'll then be able to assess once again what went well, what didn't go well, and to continue to strengthen it. But it is a system that's designed to bring in talent uh, both on the cinematography side and the post-production side from across Latin America so that we are blending the U.S. voice with the Latin American voice within the films that we're creating. I think it's really important, too, because, I mean, you're building such a strong creative force that's also global as well as cultural and, you know, trying to tell these really important stories. I just want to say thanks you know, that that's a really good high note. I try to end the podcast on high notes. And so are there any other lessons or anything that you think it's really important to let filmmakers know? 
I mean, I think these days, let's face it, every year, I mean, goodness, we'd be interested in to know what the, what the data says, but I'm sure there's tens of thousands of digital media producers and young filmmakers that are graduating film school and other uh, journalism and digital media programs across the United States, much less the world. So I think as a young filmmaker, it's easy to get potentially a little bit intimidated or, or feel like opportunities aren't opening up as quickly as you would want because there are a lot of young filmmakers out there. What I would say to those filmmakers is you just have to lean into the stories that come naturally to you. Do something not because it's what you think someone would want to watch in order to impress them, but rather work on a film or work on a project that's meaningful to you, that's personal, that has emotion or that, that you know, makes you excited because maybe it's, you know, it's a sport highlight reel that just gets you really, really jazzed. And then beyond that, it's to know that there are filmmakers all around the world who are very, very excited to collaborate. And, and that's the great thing about filmmaking is you have to work with other people. Um, obviously, you have your one-man bands out there, but it's the, the teams, it's the production teams that end up creating the best work. And, and what we found at All Rise Films is by tapping into the, the best talent in Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, Argentina, Madagascar, Kenya, South Africa, we're able to produce fantastic work. So just recently being in Madrid, we found a fantastic producer. We also found some fantastic cinematographers to work with, and all of their efforts as part of our team helped it to, to be a very successful shoot, and we're very excited about what we're going to be editing together. Uh, so these days, there are great filmmakers all over the world, and to the extent that a young filmmaker has the opportunity to travel and collaborate with others, they're going to find it immensely rewarding. For all the humble young filmmakers out there listening, if they should want to learn from All Rise Films, what's the best way to find you? Go to uh, our website, allrisefilms.com, and the, the info email address is there. Uh, we're regularly getting you know emails expressing interest in uh, working as interns or, or collaborating in other technical capacities. So don't hesitate to, to go to the website and email, uh, send an email to the email address that's listed, expressing uh, what it is that you do and what you would like to do in, in terms of your collaboration with All Rise, and, and we'll we'll review those. And uh, every year we, we we bring new people into our our network and, and get them involved in different ways. I just want to say thank you, Colby. I really appreciate your time, your stories, and all of your experiences to bring these stories to audiences. Thank you, Josh. My pleasure. And uh, thank you for inviting me on, on the podcast. And I, I look forward to hearing from your listeners who are interested in learning more about All Rise Films or potentially uh, working with us. I'm going to stop recording now, and then I'll say goodbye not while not recording. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of American Filmmaker. And thank you to Colby for all the filmmaking and producing lessons from the front lines of All Rise Films. 
All the links for the movies that Colby mentioned will be in the show notes. The music used for this episode comes from my second feature film as a writer-director, My Friend's Rubber Ducky. You can watch it wherever movies stream.